This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We're starting right now with Ronald McDaniels. Well, congratulations, uh, Ronald McDaniel, and uh, uh, give us an an update. Uh, where are we uh, uh, with the uh, GOP? I mean, uh, uh, people want to hear who is the leading candidate. What do you think? Where are we? Well, one, I'm really jealous that I'm not there with you guys in studio. Thank you all for all you do, John. Thanks for all you do. Uh, Listen, first of all, the GOP is going to have a great night tonight because instead of Nancy Pelosi sitting behind Joe Biden, it's going to be Kevin McCarthy because we won won the House back and we took the gavel away from Pelosi. And we're just gearing up already for a great Senate map in 2024. A lot of seats that are very winnable, West Virginia, Ohio, Montana. Arizona, a much better map for us in 2024. And then the White House race is already on and up and running. Well, that sounds uh, uh, great. And uh, uh, the one thing where everybody was worried about that red wave and it didn't happen, except New York delivered to you. New York delivered to to the GOP. uh, And I guess Kevin McCarthy wouldn't have it without New York. Um, New York and California, go figure. California did really well, too. We picked up a seat there. So New York and California, two blue states, helped us with winning the House. Well, people in New York were mad as heck, and they couldn't take it anymore. And uh, I think that made the difference. But the, the one thing that the American people don't realize, that the Democrats out-talk you sometimes. Do you know that after Joe Biden a promise to all his college students $10,000. 26 million applications were filed? Is that possible? Uh, it, that's, I don't know the exact number, but it doesn't surprise me. And we all saw what he did with the, the unions as well. I mean, Joe Biden is taking taxpayer dollars and using it to help get votes. for but future It, it, it gets him the election, Rona. It gets them the election. People, yep. 26 million college kids came out and voted, and they believed them. The same way what happened in Georgia uh, when they the Democrats promised everybody in Georgia, we'll give you $2,600 next week if you vote for us. Well, Georgia, we won eight no, out of nine. No, I'm talking about the 20 election. 2020. In 2020. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But in 2022, we, I mean, we won eight out of nine by five to nine points. I mean, Stacey Abrams, we beat her by a ton, by nine points in a race that should have been neck and neck. So Georgia went really red. Florida went really red. Texas went really red. We have a divided country. I, where I think we have, we've got to pull the youth vote in. Biden did a good job on the student loan forgiveness, and then independence. Independence didn't break our way in some of these battleground states, and we need them to come to the Republican Party. And that's where the economy is going to be our our issue as we head into 2024, because we are going to have a recession, I believe. We do have high inflation, and Joe Biden is going to be, you know, we had the balloon go across our country this weekend, you know, full of hot air. We're going to have a president full of hot air giving the State of the Union tonight. Rona, it's Tony Carbonetti. First of all, congratulations. I mean, hey, it's a Tony. very tough job. I mean, do you wake up the next day going, what did I just do to myself again? Is it? <laughs> yes. yes <I> did. <laughs> so, so, so as the leader of the party in, in, in 2020, it's obviously it was a very easy choice having a sitting president. In 2024, with an ex-president in the field, do you feel the same obligation to support the ex-president? 
the RNC has to stay neutral. I mean, that, that there's no option for the RNC. It's part of our bylaws. So what, what you're going to see coming out of the RNC in the next this month will be announcing the first debate. And ah, great. it's already starting. So we, we get our RFPs back um, in the next week, and then we'll be meeting and announcing the first two debates, maybe more, uh, and that criteria. So will that be this summer? Presidential race. Yep, it'll be this summer. It's off and running. Wow, excellent. So we've got to create a fair playing field. Here's the reality. The voters get to choose the nominee, and it starts in Iowa, and then it goes to New Hampshire, and then it goes to Nevada, and then it goes to South Carolina, and so on and so forth. But the voters need to choose, but the RNC needs to make sure that we give each candidate an opportunity to go out and say this was fair, it was done in a transparent way, and then they can go earn the votes. But I, I don't know what the field's going to look like yet. Some the president, President Trump's already in. It sounds like Nikki Haley's about to announce. Uh, a, a gentleman from Rhode Island announced over the weekend a, a self-funder. So who knows? Have they finished counting the last bo- votes in Iowa yet? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we didn't have that problem. It was the Democrats I know. that had that problem. Craig but, Eaton, uh, uh, 10-year GOP chairman. Rona, this is Craig. I was the chairman in Brooklyn for 10 years and the vice chair in the state Thank party you. under Chairman Cox. So I, I do feel your pain. But congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, your county chairs in New York, I was with Chairman Cairo, and you guys are amazing. Joe's great. I Joe's mean, great. New, York, New York, you guys are so lucky because you like old school county chairs that just do such great work. So thank you. Hats off to you for being but, Brooklyn County but Chair. I just want to say, you know, we really we really gave you Lolota, uh, Lawler, Molinaro, you know. And, and I want to credit John and WABC for those victories as well because yeah. they've been on these shows. They're on all of John's shows here at WABC repeatedly during the election. So so John should take a victory lap, too, for all the work he that should. he did. Take a bow, John. Um, yes, John, I mean, you, you know, know all of, these, all these are people— these are people, Rona, that, that we all worked with, you know, that we all. And D'Esposito and, and, yes. Gar- um, and um, Garbarino. I mean, you go through the state. I mean, I, I was blown away when I went to Nassau and I spent a day with Chairman Cairo and, um, and Bruce Blakehead. I mean, I, or, or Blakeman. I, they, it was unbelievable. And these candidates in New York rallies around their own. I mean, it is a great community there. And you guys are fed up and you're sick and tired of the liberal policies. And. Thank goodness, because it helped help us win the House. And also, Congressman Pete King was a very big supporter of Desposito. Yes. He was with him almost every day and talking on the radio every day about him. So, you know, we did a lot here to help. But, you know, we're coming into 2024, who do we think? Who do you think is going to come out? What candidates are going to come out? In, in presidential? Yeah, or yeah. I, I mean, we, I we think have, it's going it to – we've got a huge – a field. I mean, we have a, a, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to great candidates. Obviously, President Trump, I, I would say, is the front runner with, with the polling. And then you've got Governor DeSantis. Who knows if Governor Youngkin runs? But there's a whole, Kim Scott, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence. Uh, there's wow. so many That's potential candidates out there. We're preparing our rules, which we'll we'll put out after we announce the first debate for potentially two debate stages uh, that that's, we have to be ready for that potential because there could literally be uh, 12 to 13 to 14, maybe even 16 candidates. Wow. Well, that'd be another candidate. Dominic Carter. Yes. And uh, Madam chair of the uh, RNC, Ronald McDaniel. uh, You're here obviously on cats at night with the John Katsimatini show. The, the state of the union is tonight. And, and what are you expecting? What are you expecting to hear from the Democratic president? 
Yeah, I was actually just at the Capitol with Speaker McCarthy. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to hear a lot of Joe Biden lying and blaming and not telling the truth to the American people. I mean, there was just a poll that was put out that 71 percent of the American people feel like they are worse off, that our country's on the wrong track. People are really hurting. They're suffering with this high inflation, with this open border. Our kids are still absolutely suffering deficits from the pandemic shutdowns. I know this as a mother of a senior in high school. Uh, and Joe Biden's not going to address any of that. So it'll be blame, lies, and then he'll go hide again. This is his pattern. Doesn't talk to the press, has no accountability. So I, I'm not really interested in his rhetoric. What we have to look at is his record, and it is abysmal for the American people. And it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. And it's not a coincidence, by the way, that the Democratic Party has now moved the primary schedule around, leading off with uh, South Carolina, is it? No, it's not. And I think it signals how weak Joe Biden is as a candidate. Because if you remember, Iowa, they couldn't get the results in 2020. It probably would have gone to Buttigieg. And then Biden came in eighth in New Hampshire. So he has gone in and said, I am going to rework the calendar put South Carolina first, which gave him his huge win and really, really catapulted his nomination in 2020. And he put them as first out of the gate, moved Michigan up the calendar, pretty much walked walked away from Iowa and is pretty much walking away from New Hampshire. I mean, it's really, really uh, an upending of history. Uh, there's a reason why you go to Iowa and New Hampshire. There are states that are cost effective. You can do retail politicking. It, those voters are very in tune. They take that uh, responsibility very seriously. So by upending that calendar, it shows that Joe Biden's worried, I think, about uh, Rona, challenging him. Uh, we yeah. only have a minute left. We always got to go a hard break. But my opinion, uh, when the New York Times, the, New, uh, the Washington Post and CNN and other uh, th those stations decided uh, are talking badly about Biden, somebody in the Democratic Party has decided he's out. He doesn't know that yet because he's saying he's still in. But uh, well, that's they the reality. Find it, it classified documents <laughs> and they're found from internally. I, I don't know. I think his party does not want him to be the nominee, but he's running. I think he's running. He's planning on being the nominee despite what his party wants. Uh, and that's the conundrum the Democrats have. And then we have these great candidates. We just need to make sure they support each other, that we unify that whoever gets the nomination, everybody else needs to support that nominee. Otherwise, we won't win. A divided party cannot win. We, so we, all, we all agree. Rona, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on today and updating all the American people. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you, guys. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Joining us live right now is a top lawyer, perhaps the top lawyer, constitutional lawyer in the country, and that is the great Alan Dershowitz. He's joining us via telephone. And Mr. Katsimatidis, I, I turn it right back to you for the first question well, here. I just want to say welcome, Alan Dershowitz, and it's always good to hear your voice. And I'm going to turn it over to uh, Judge Richard Weinberg to... to, to, to Start the conversation. What, what, what's the big, uh, the big? Uh, well, the two, the two, the two things. Uh, we can talk about the State of the Union in a moment, yeah. Alan. But I'm really yeah. concerned about the uh, subpoena issued by the House Oversight Committee to try to get the identity of the purchasers of the Hunter Biden paintings, and they're refusing to do it, Alan, because they say it's contrary to the uh, 
procedures of the White House and their understandings of the White House. What do you say about that? Does that supersede the right of Congress to get true information about who the sources of this funding are, these $500,000 paintings? These are great, great issues, and it's coming up in two contexts, in the Hunter Biden context, but it's also coming up. I had a piece in the Wall Street Journal last week. The House should be subpoenaing Politico magazine to ask the journalist who gave him the leaked Supreme Court decision. And, um, and, and then they'll have to go to court. And the courts in both of these cases is going to have to determine whether or not the privilege supersedes the need to get the information. And I think the privilege sometimes has gone too far. For example, in the Supreme Court case, the person who did the leak wasn't revealing government misconduct. The only misconduct was his misconduct. The government was behaving perfectly. They were rendering a decision. I didn't agree with the decision, but that's their job. And so I don't think this leaker particularly deserves any protection. But I think we're going to see both of these cases come before the courts. And I suspect we're going to see a cutting back of the privilege and more. Alan, this uh, this, this situation with Hunter Biden selling paintings for Five hundred thousand yeah, dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, to and me, you don't know who the sources look, of the money. To, is? To me, wait a second. I mean, to me, what what American person says it's not a bribe? Well, what's that funny? That is a bribe. The Treasury Department every year puts out an annual report, and one of their big concerns is money laundering via art, because it's yeah. always in the eye of the beholder. They can sell one piece well, for a half a million today and ten million tomorrow. So let me tell you what I did last week. I was online. I do a lot of auction stuff. And I saw a doodle, a doodle done by Franklin Delano Roosevelt of Al Smith. They were in the same room and they were talking about who's going to run for president in 1932. And Roosevelt makes a doodle, just an ordinary, like four line doodle of Al Smith. Guess how much I paid for it? $15,000. (laughs) Fifty dollars. That's exactly what I paid for. You overbid me. I, I was bidding against you. <laughs> you were bidding against me. Yes. I love fifteen thousand dollars is worth it. I wasn't going to pay above fourteen. It's worth it. What is Hunter yeah. Allen objectively? Hunter Biden, Hunter a great Biden artist, a like half a million dollars. Fifteen dollars for a Hunter Biden picture. Right. Yeah. And and why won't they reveal the names of the purchasers? And how dare the White House say they have a protocol that? supersedes the, the House subpoena power. Just a cover-up like no, everything that, else. that's not true. The separation of powers doesn't give the White House more authority than Congress. Look, a lot of people are going to be upset because Congress is now in the hands of Republicans, and they may very well abuse that power as the Democrats abused it in the January 6th committee. We live in a nation of abusers, of abuse. Every It's gotten worse. House, it's gotten every, worse. You know, abuses their power. And so I, I, I think the fact that it's now Republican will affect how some people feel about this. If the shoe were on the other foot, if this were the Democrats subpoenaing something about Republicans, I think we'd see different attitudes uh, that, that prevail. But, you know, these are great and important issues that we're going to have to keep following. Professor, this is Craig Eaton. I mean, it's just another example of manipulation of the law to protect yeah. Hunter Biden. I mean, look at all the other protections that the law and the White House have given him. Over the over the last two years, I mean, this guy, all the things that he's done, and yet he's not been under investigation, not convicted of anything. It's not got even, to stop. Not even it's got to stop. How long? I don't want to convict him, but I want to investigate. Of course, yeah. we should investigate. And, we're, and we should what's going? Why does it take four years, Alan, 
for the U.S. attorney in Delaware, in Delaware. to do anything well, with respect to well, Delaware. Let's wait and see. Let's not jump to Let's wait and see. He may be very thorough, and he may come up with a very good <clears throat> report. I don't know. I'm looking forward to the State of the Union message tonight. I may be at the center on this show. But, you know, I voted for Biden. I voted for him not because I thought he'd be a great president or because he's a great orator or because he transformed the country. I voted for him because I just thought he might help restore some degree of normalcy and uh, centrality and common sense and uh, kind are you, of are you disappointed? presidency. You know, I, I think he's what I expected. Uh, you know, he's not he's not the most brilliant. He's not the the most charismatic. But I think he's done his job. And I think he has the right tonight to be proud of some of the things he's done. He'll be questioned very hard about many, many things. And there'll be an opportunity to rebut it. But no, I, I don't regret my vote. The only vote I ever regret was voting for Barack Obama. Um, when he when he ran for the second time, um, and I, I I shouldn't have voted for him the second time. His second term was a disaster for foreign policy. Um, but that was the only vote I ever regretted. Who is really running the White House? They said a lot of people, a lot of Democrats are saying Barack Obama still has a lot to say about it. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. They were very close, but I think Biden wants to be his own. His own person. Look, if Hillary Clinton had been elected, everybody would be asking who's running the White House. Is it Bill Clinton? Um, the White House is a very complicated case. You know, I've been there a lot, and and it's very it's it's very complex. No one person runs it. Certainly, no one person like Joe Biden because he doesn't have the kind of charisma that, say, a John Kennedy had or even a Bill Clinton had um, to be able to control and dominate. So I think it's diffuse and diverse, and um, you know. I give him a B plus, and that's pretty high grades these days, even with great inflation, uh, for um, what he replaced and how divided the country was. My big disappointment is he hasn't brought us closer together. I would hope that there'd be more room for compromise because he was a great compromiser when he was in the Senate. And I still think he has a chance to bring that about. So I'm hoping he delivers a tolerably good State of the Union message. I'll watch it, and I just wish him well. So, Professor Dershowitz, this is Dominic Carter. You just gave him a Mr. Biden a B plus. But what yeah, what yeah. would you like to hear him say tonight? We're just a few hours from the State of the Union address. Well, I'd like to see him offer compromises. I'd like to see him offer uh, an olive branch to uh, McCarthy. I'd like to see him uh, create opportunities where both parties can serve the interests of the United States. Um, I'd like to see him make some strong statements about China. I know he will. And Russia. I know he will. Those are easy politically because almost everybody, um, you know, is against uh, what China did with the balloon and almost everybody's against what Russia's doing in Ukraine. And he'll talk a little bit about domestic politics, but um, I don't expect stirring rhetoric, but I hope bringing people together is is his goal, and I would hope he wouldn't insult the other side or make provocative statements that will uh, put the other side off. I hope he can he can try to bring us together. Tell, tell me, Alan, what else? I mean, we got a few minutes left before we have to take a break. Uh, what else are you mad as heck about? Well, I watched the film last night, one of the greatest films I've ever seen. It was called Jacques Hughes. It was a film made by Roman Polanski. I was able to see it because a friend of mine was one of the producers. Americans can't see that film. 
that film has been banned and censored for all Americans. If you go on YouTube, if you go on any of the things, it will say not available in the United States because Americans have canceled Roman Polanski. I don't don't like what Roman Polanski did either. But we should have a right to see his films. This is a film about the Dreyfus case. This is a film about false accusations. What could be more important? Finally, I saw it, uh, but I had to see it through a friend. But Americans shouldn't have their films or their music or their books censored because we don't like what the author may have done 30 years ago. So that's something that's really well, been... You can see the original Jacques Hughes. It's from yeah, the 1930s, oh, yeah, Alan. 1921. Yeah, of course. It was great. With a meal with... Uh, oh, what was his name? That great actor. George Arliss or Paul Muni? Uh, Which one of those? Paul Muni. Paul Paul Muni. Muni. Okay. That was the one I loved. Yeah. I own an original copy of Jacques Hughes from the original newspaper. One of the few remaining copies. You know, I collect all this stuff. And that's one of my treasures, uh, an original copy of Jacques Hughes, uh, Emile Zola's uh, defense of... um, of, of After Dreyfus. Well, thank you so much, uh, Alan Dershowitz. Oh, it's always a pleasure. I love being on with you guys. It makes my day. Thank well, it, it makes my day, too, because we all, we all want to hear the truth, and we want to be fair and square and, and want the American people to, to know the truth. Thank you so much. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, uh, we got uh, Melissa DeRosa is uh, on the phone. Is she on the phone now? And I Melissa. Am. Great to be with you guys. How you, you doing? You know what's going on in Albany. Fill in the rest of us. We don't know what's going on. You know. So in Albany, you know, we're in the we're in the midst of a budget battle. And Kathy Hochul last week outlined her vision for New York going into the next fiscal year. And it includes a bunch of policy priorities as well as fiscal priorities. I should note that it's the largest budget in history. It goes well above, you know, when I served for Secretary Governor Cuomo, we had a self-imposed 2% spending um, gap every year. We, we would not go above 2% the prior year in order to sort of keep a fiscal restraint and be conservative and make sure that we were never fall off the fiscal cliff. This blows that out of the water. So she's got a lot of pe- a, a lot of uh, spending priorities going on, a lot of policy priorities going on, and she's sort of set herself up on a collision course with the legislature on a number of them, and, and I don't think that it ends well for her. And uh, give us a, there's a lot of rumors going around for uh, Judge LaSalle that she has asked him to resign and he has refused. What have you heard? To, with, to withdraw the nomination. Have you yeah. heard that? Melissa, it's Richard I have Weinberg. Heard, I, yes, uh, Judge Weinberg, I have heard that from very reputable sources. And, you know, a, again, it's like, to what end? You know, she <laughs> she put the guy out. She nominated him. He was the right person for the job. She didn't have the strategy to get him seated. She faced off with the Senate. They sort of smacked her around. She's now cowing in the corner. She had said she was going to bring a lawsuit. The lawsuit never materialized. And I think that she's hoping that he'll withdraw the nomination so that she doesn't so that she does not acknowledge that the Senate voting him down through committee is reflective of the entire body. 
So I think what she's trying to do is preserve the will of the executive without having to go to court. Yeah. So she's hoping that he will withdraw. I'm, I'm so told. He doesn't have to sue. I'm told, Melissa, by my sources, no, but I'm not saying they're as good as yours, but my sources are telling me that he's at this point refusing to withdraw. I hope name. he doesn't and withdraw. And he shouldn't. Yeah, he, should. he, should. he, should. he didn't do anything withdraw. wrong. Yeah. The man is a, no, no, is a legitimate uh, person. M- Melissa, no, that that's the same. That's the same thing that I've heard too, and that he's refusing to step down. And so, so now she's at a stalemate, both with the legislature and with the gentleman who she nominated to be the court of appeals chief judge. So, you know, she's she's sort of looking weaker by the day. I don't know how she gets out of it. You know, she can't force him to withdraw, and the Senate has made their position clear. So, short of bringing a lawsuit that even if she wins, she loses. You know, she's in a, she's in a no win position. And at the same time, she's going into the budget where she's sort of picking a fight on charter schools. She's picking a fight on the payroll tax, which I think is a, a huge mistake on her part to try to raise the payroll tax in the MTA zone, which for your listeners, it's a tax on businesses in the MTA zone in order to fund the MTA, um, which, you know, she had two weeks prior said no new taxes. So immediately she's contradicted herself and proven herself to to not be truthful on the point of I'm not going to increase taxes. So she's picking a fight with businesses on the payroll tax. She's picking a fight with locality, with, you know, generally on localities on her affordable housing proposal on charter schools. She's going to war with the education unions, and she's also going to go to war with the far left. And I think she'll lose that battle. And then she's also got bail. So she's got all of these different fights going on. And, and from what I can see, no strategy to bring any of them over the finish line. If she so, doesn't, you know, if she doesn't take get crime under control in New York City, then she's going to lose the whole city and the whole state. John, I don't think she understands the job. She's got a bully pulpit. She had, like Melissa was just saying, she hasn't even picked a strategy to put her bully pulpit behind. To get the people behind no, I, her. I agree with I agree with that. And, you know, it's like she sort of ducked the big issues on crime. Right. That was a big, important issue. She ducked it during the last election. We talked about it on this show. We talked about how it was a mistake that played out in the polls when she almost lost yep. to Lee Zeldin in a crazy. You know, he's a MAGA Trump Republican. He, he came with. Oh, hold on. We got some. Uh... Breaking news. Breaking news. WABC. The police officer that was shot uh, on Saturday night has passed away, and it's a sad oh, day. That's very How sad. Awful. How, How awful. awful. How awful. And that, that was from the robbery uh, Facebook uh, marketplace, and, and uh, the police have made an arrest. But as you said, Mr. Katsimatidis, the officer has died. Uh, 26 years old, married, father of two, shot and critically wounded during that botched robbery attempt in Brooklyn over the weekend. A five-year veteran of the NYPD, he had been on life support at Brookdale Hospital since this cowardly attack in East New York Saturday evening. Horrible. Melissa, what say you? Well, you know, to the point that we were just talking about on crime, John, how do you look the other way when this is what's going on in the city? And my thoughts and prayers with the officer's family. It's a sad day for the city. It's a sad day for the NYPD. It's heartbreaking. And at some point, someone's got to step up to the plate and deal with the issue and confront the issue. And I do think Eric Adams is serious about it, but he needs a partner in Albany. Melissa, this is Craig Eaton. I mean, I, I think it all stems to illegal guns. We need to get illegal guns off the street. And the problem is that they took away they took away the, the 
the anti-crime unit, which was taking guns off the street every single day. No, legal guns are legal. They're always going to be illegal guns. It's putting the people away for one year minimum sentence for carrying it. That's what that's what did away with the gun. That's no, what, what they, what they were crime. doing. The, the the undercover officers were were infiltrating the gangs and taking guns off the street. It was a big big thing with the I police think department. You- I think that you're both right. I think that there are other systemic issues too, right? Post-COVID, I think there's a lot of people who are underemployed. I think that there are economic issues. But more than anything, I think that, you know, when I think about crime in the city, I I lay a lot of it at the feet of Bill de Blasio, who I think did away with sort of broken window strategy and who started to look the other way on, you know, quality of life crimes, like urinating on the street, like you know, smoking pot on the street, like all these various things, you know, turnstile jumping, where when you tell people for eight years that it doesn't matter if you break the law because there will be no consequence, small crimes become big crimes. And so I think when you put that together with, you know, the underemployment post-COVID, with guns on the street, which John is right, I think that there's always going to be illegal guns on the street, and it's our job to do a, uh, to do a better job, frankly, of the iron pipeline and breaking it up, coming in from other states. Melissa, we got one one minute left. Give us give us what you the, the, give us what you got for for all the uh, all New Yorkers, all Americans. You know, look, I think that the Democratic Party right now is in charge in the city, in the state, and in Washington. Joe Biden has his big speech tonight. I think Democrats have to step up to the plate and deliver for the people, regardless of the far left of the party. Speak to the issues that matter most economically, public safety-wise, you know, in terms of protecting America abroad. And I hope that Joe Biden addresses a lot of that tonight with real answers, not just rhetoric, and that that comes home here in New York, too. Thank you so much, Melissa DeRosa, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And Dominic, who do we have now? We have Lou Dobbs, who is well known to to this audience. And I do want to mention, uh, you're listening to Cats at Night, the John Katsimatidi show. Coming up, you want to stay with us, folks. Coming up in a few minutes, Mr. Katsimatidi's guest will be John Jack Keen, who is a retired four-star general, vice chief of staff of the United States Army, and a presidential medal of freedom, freedom recipient. That's all coming up. But right now, your guest is Lou Dobbs. Lou, are you on? I am. How are you, John? Good. Give us an update. Where do you think we are with this economy? I mean, uh, uh, tonight uh, the president is speaking on the state of the uh, country, the state of the economy. Uh, You give us your opinion. Well, my opinion is this. With high interest rates, we're going to continue to struggle as the Fed fights inflation. The only way that it seems to want to, which is unfortunate. Uh, there are a lot of other policies available uh, to to both the president uh, and uh, Congress, as well as the Federal Reserve. Uh, fiscal policy, as you know, is a mess. The real estate industry is a mess. Uh, construction uh, is, uh, you know, I think it is in real danger of going into a even greater uh, decline. I hope not, but that appears to be the situation. The Fed did give us some reason for hope, John, and with these 25 basis point uh, increases that are expected now rather than 50 or 75 basis points, it looks like Jerome Powell has at least begun to learn a few lessons 
that the Fed should follow markets, not try to direct them. 20% of of the economy is the real estate industry. And uh, with those Fed hikes, they're destroying the real estate industry. How do you fix the country if you just destroy another industry? Well, you begin with constraining fiscal policy. You also begin to uh, back off these interest rate hikes and try, if you must, uh, to to deleverage the Fed's balance sheet. Now that's a, and you have to do it gradually. This is a we've never been here before, John. You know that very well. It's a new economy. It's had, a new type of economy. It really is, and we we have never seen so many people talking about. Uh, recession, uh, and while high inflation is uh, at this level, uh, and at the same time, you have a, a, a unemployment rate uh, of less now than three and a half percent. I mean, it, this is uh, this is just crazy. What is going on by the numbers? Agreed. in this economy. Lou Dobbs, uh, Goldman Sachs today called for one hundred dollar oil. Goldman is up to his, uh, their old tricks again. I mean, if you have $100 oil, fasten your seatbelt, we're going to the moon on inflation. Well, that's what, that's what happens when your CEO moonlights as a, a DJ. I, I mean, you've got uh, some real uh, conflicts at Goldman here. And the idea that they are uh, proselytizing their book, uh, to me, is, you know, first of all, it's so obvious. And secondly, it is so, so wrong. If oil went down to if oil goes down to sixty five, inflation goes away. We fix the problem by opening up the oil spigots, and Biden has attempted to do that with opening up. What's the name? The uh, strategic reserves. The which one? Strategic petroleum reserves. Oh, not only that. No, in Alaska. Oh, well, Willow. The Willow, the Willow project that was supposed to make available six hundred and fifty billion barrels over thirty years. I mean, now hope oil was down to seventy three, seventy four dollars, and inflation goes away. Go Goldman it must be somebody must be paying him a fee from from Saudi Arabia to to come up with that crap. Well, that's why I said they're proselytizing their book. They want that. They're advantage to that uh, outcome, and that's what they're going to push. Uh, there's nothing new in what Goldman or many of the other firms on. Uh, uh, our favorite street, uh, you know, happened to uh, to follow. Uh, it, it's ridiculous, and it means that they're going to try to play the game uh, with OPEC. West Texas Intermediate Crude uh, shouldn't shouldn't approach a hundred dollars this year at all. It's a game. It's a demand. game. And who pays the price for that game? And who pays the price? Let me tell you what's happened. When President Biden uh, closed down the Keystone Pipeline and took oil from $55 a barrel to $110, $125 a barrel, $2 trillion of monies moved from North America, guess to what? To Russia, Saudi Arabia, and all those OPEC countries. And we're watching the same thing happen across the— And Goldman is trying to do that again. The Russians still sell their oil. They don't care. They don't care. Chinese buy it. Yeah. You talk about a game. That's the game. Yep. I agree 100%. Lou Dobbs, we're going to have to take a break, but thank you so much for coming on. And, and we have to save America, Lou. Amen, brother. Amen. Good to be with you, John. Thank Good you. Good to be with you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. 
Stats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Now we have joining the program uh, a retired four-star General John Jack Keen, and he is a retired four-star general, former vice chief of staff of the United States Army and Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. He was appointed, and he is also a national security analyst. Mr. Katsimatidis. Well, General Keen, the American people want to know what the heck is going on uh, with this balloon, and give the American people the truth, and that's all they want. Yeah, well, certainly, uh, it's a balloon that came from China. It left China on January the 21st. Uh, We were able to track that balloon across the Pacific Ocean for seven days until it reached the Alaskan coast in the vicinity of the Aleutian Islands on January the 28th. In tracking it, we were able to determine that it was not weaponized in any way, Uh, But yet it had electronic equipment on it that was likely going to be used to conduct surveillance of the United States. I don't believe we knew exactly where it was going to go, but we did not stop it from entering the United States through uh, the Aleutian Islands, then through uh, Canada, and it came down uh, from the north, uh, penetrated into Idaho, and then in Montana when it became obvious to everybody that there was a balloon uh, conducting surveillance over uh, nuclear bases in in Montana, and that is when the public became aware of it. Um, There was good and bad in this. In my judgment, uh, we should have taken that balloon out uh, after the seven days that we were tracking it, and we knew full well that it was going to go into the United States. So if you were uh, in charge and, and and you would have just shot it down or you would have brought it down or whatever, uh, and I believe that's the right thing to do, we shouldn't allow that to just fly over the United States. And, and, some, no, somebody, and some of the people at NORAD said, oh, we never saw it. I mean, who's lying? Why are people, do they have a tendency to lie? No. Uh, the NORAD commander spoke yesterday publicly. He he admitted everything I just told you. Okay. That they were tr- they were tracking it for seven days. They knew it wasn't weaponized. They knew it was electronic surveillance that it was going to take. He he believed that the the balloon did not pose. These are his words: a a military hostile threat, and therefore he did not shoot it down. He knew it intended to conduct surveillance. They defeated the electronic surveillance, I think, by jamming it. He didn't say how. So it was not able to collect information and pass it back to China. Nonetheless, uh, I think it was certainly a hostile threat because it was going across the United States and it was going to take information. And the fact that we have a balloon sitting on top of nuclear weapon sites, one of the most sensitive classified sites that we have uh, in the United States, in my judgment, is definitely a hostile threat. So I disagree with his decision uh, not to shoot it down. And we eventually did shoot it down after it uh, exited the United States into the Atlantic Ocean, but it had already completed its mission. 
General, uh, you know the capabilities of our armed forces uh, better than anybody I know. Were we capable of bringing it down without shooting it down and investigating it, what the heck had in it? I don't know for certain. My judgment is no. I I think it would have been very challenging uh, to do that. Uh, You know, they had to deflate the balloon to bring it down, and that's exactly what they did. They shot an an F-22 fighter jet, which is designed to engage in firefights with other fighter aircraft, shot an air-to-air missile into the balloon portion of the device and it exploded, making contact with the balloon, collapsed the balloon, and it fell to the ocean. We are now in the business of recovering the parts of that, and we've, we've recovered some parts of it. The FBI is looking at those parts in a warehouse. It's going to take us a number of more days to recover the rest of it. The parts are only in 47 feet of water. So it looks like, and it's over a seven-mile area. I think we'll be able to get most of it recovered and understand exactly what kind of equipment uh, it did have. So it's it's fair to say when when they shot it down, they didn't damage any of the electronic equipment that was in there then, as far as you know? I don't think so. I mean, when you look at it from the naked eye, um, it looked like the balloon was deflated and the equipment then separated from the balloon. And you can actually see that. And it fell to the sea. It didn't appear, at at least what we were looking at, uh, that that equipment was damaged. Now, some of it would be damaged upon impact, certainly. And seawater would likely have some impact on it. But I think we're going to get a pretty good feel, you know, for what the nature of the equipment is that they had. General, it's Tony Carbonetti. Here's my question. If the shoe was on the other foot, how would the Chinese have reacted to us sending this balloon over their airspace. They would have shot it down immediately. Exactly. Yes. Uh, we, we got uh, less than yeah. a minute left. Case General, closed. would you uh, anything you want to say to the American people before we sign off? Well, we detected the fact there have been a number of balloons now because we went back and looked at the history of China's balloon fleet over the last number of years and we found a number of them that did penetrate the United States that we did not detect it. Wow. That is a serious problem. Thank yes. you. We've got to fix it. Thank you, General Keene, for your service and continue to speak out for America. God bless you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.